Well, this is it. This is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, the high day of the Christian calendar. It is the day we celebrate the event, the event that altered the course of history forever. And of course, that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death, and ushered in new life for all of creation. Yeah, right. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Each of the four gospel writers records the resurrection of Jesus, and they present it in different ways in hopes of helping you and I and everyone else who reads those, of understanding what the resurrection means. How did it go down? Why does it matter? Tim read the first part of Luke's account of the resurrection, Luke 24, 1 through 12. And in that passage, we have a surprise, an empty tomb, Grave clothes left behind, um, a couple of angels that declared, well, of course Jesus isn't here. He's risen from the grave. Women who see an empty tomb, the witness of those women to the 11 disciples. Peter runs to the tomb, sees it empty, more confusion. If that's all we had, we might conclude something happened, something weird But what exactly? What does this mean, this empty tomb and witness of the angels and all of this? Well, thankfully, Luke isn't done telling the story. And in the next section, the section that we're going to focus on today, Luke tells us the story of the resurrection set on a journey. Don't you love a good journey story? A good epic, right? From the, from the, uh, the epic Norse poems to... Greek epics like the Iliad and the Odyssey, even to Tolkien's Hobbit, there's something about a good journey story. A good journey story invites the reader, you and me, into the story, and we we can kind of go through the situations and ask of ourselves, what are we made of? What would we do in these situations? In Luke's case, he's recording a real event, a historical event that just happened to take place on a journey. And I think he tells it so that we might find ourselves on that same road of discovery. And I think, if I'm going to tip my hat a little bit, what we're going to discover is that journey of death to life. So let's read this journey story. Again, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to pick up where Tim left off and read Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Behold, two of them were going that very same day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from seeing him, from recognizing him. He said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another As you're walking, and they stood still, and looking sad, one of them, named Clopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, all the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened, and some other people 
uh, went to the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish people, so slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And as they approached the village they were, where they were going, he acted as though he were going to go further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it was getting on toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and began serving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Lord, we long for our eyes to be opened just like Clopas and his traveling partner. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our hearts to receive you, the risen and reigning one. Bless you for this word. Amen. You may be seated. It's been said that Jesus travels his way and eats his way through the gospel of Luke. If Jesus were in the flesh with us today, he might be on one of those foodie travel channels. I kind of doubt it. He might be busy doing other stuff. But over and above the other gospel writers, Luke tells the story of Jesus through his movements from towns and cities to rural places. And at almost every stop in Luke's gospel, Jesus is eating. Eating with sinners, eating with religious elites. He's eating at a party or he's telling stories about eating at a party. And this story is no different. In fact, this story contains a journey and a meal. So we get the best of both things. As we journey with Jesus and his two disciples, I'm kind of going to, like, we're on a bus. Let's pretend we're on a bus. It's really comfortable, though. And I'll be the tour guide. And I'm going to point out different things as we go through the story together. Uh, Three things in particular. First, we're going to see how the resurrected Jesus is revealed in this story. And the second thing I'm going to show us is the substance of that resurrection. Like, what does it actually mean? And the third thing we're going to maybe see is is how we might respond to the resurrection, okay? So how Jesus is revealed, what the revelation of Jesus tells us, and then what do we do about it, all right? All right. So first, the scene. Jesus is crucified and buried right before the Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath, people rested and worshipped and were prevented from, prevented from working, which includes traveling to Emmaus or traveling to the tomb to go see the body of Jesus. So they wait that whole day, that Sabbath day, and then on Sunday morning, that's when the women go with their spices and they find the tomb empty. And that's when Peter finds it empty, and that's when our story takes place. 
We're told that on that same day, on a Sunday, the two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And these two disciples are not part of the original 12 or the remaining 11. Jesus had 12 disciples. One named Judas betrayed him, so then he had 11 like main guys. But he had lots of other disciples, too, who are kind of around that 11, the larger crowd. And it seems like these two disciples who are traveling to Emmaus were in that outer circle of disciples. They were following Jesus. They just weren't one of the 12. We only know one of their names. His name is Clopas, but some scholars speculate that his traveling partner was actually his wife named Mary. In fact, in John, there's a similar man named Clopas who is married to a woman named Mary. So people think that this might be a married couple, disciples of Jesus, who are traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Regardless, they were making that journey on the road, and they were discussing the events which took place. Notice that they were not discussing the scriptures, and they were not discussing the words that Jesus had spoken before his death, right? Just an observation, call it a freebie, you don't need to tip me at the end, Uh, but whenever we focus on the circumstances of our life, as if the scriptures or the words of Jesus didn't have any bearing on the circumstances of our life, it's going to lead to anxiety and fear and all kinds of despair. (laughs) Just try following politics without the hope of Christ, Or the news without the hope of Christ, right? Okay, so, anyway, while they're discussing the bad news of Jesus' death, Jesus himself shows up and joins them in their walk. And the text says something profound, that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So they totally saw Jesus, but they didn't recognize it was Jesus. Now, I'm going to do something that might drive you a little crazy. Can I just say, we're going to talk about that in a minute. (laughs) I know that's a weird statement, but we're not going to talk about it right now. What we are going to say, is it sufficient to say that, that Jesus wasn't weird looking? Nowhere in this text did they say, oh my gosh, this guy is a monster, or he's a ghost, or he's a zombie. Like, Jesus looked like a normal human guy, and they just were prevented from recognizing that the normal human guy was Jesus. So Jesus asks them what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine this scene? This is exactly how the text says it. Jesus asks them what, you're talk, what they're talking about. And Luke says, they stood still, like they just stopped walking. And then they were sad. And Clopas answers, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of the things which have happened in these days? I mean, do you get the irony, right? Like, can you make this stuff up? If there's anyone who knows what's going on in these days, it's the guy walking with him who was crucified and rejected by his own, you know, his own leaders of his own faith movement and was crucified and in a tomb for three days and resurrected from the dead. Like, he gets what's going on in these days. But like the good master teacher that he is, he doesn't just answer their questions right away. He just says, uh, well, what things? He asks a question. It's like a spiritual director. Anyway, Colopus and his traveling partner go on to explain all about Jesus and how he was the mighty, uh, the mighty prophet, the one who was mighty in the sight of God and, and in sight of humans, and how he was handed over to the Romans for a death sentence, and then he was crucified. And then they go on to mention their disappointment because they had hoped that Jesus would be the one to deliver Israel from bondage to Rome. And they had heard all of these stories about women going to the tomb, finding it empty, how angels had told these women that Jesus was alive, and how Peter confirmed that the tomb was empty. Do you see what they have here? 
They have all of these reports, but they didn't yet reflect on, the, on their circumstances alongside the Scripture and alongside the words of Jesus who had predicted these very things before he died. And they're stuck in their anxiety and they're stuck in their grief. And this traveling duo was paralyzed by their grief and they could not see. And Jesus goes on to kind of chide them, not for their lack of intelligence or their lack of knowledge. They had all the facts, but for their stubbornness of heart and being slow to believe. And so Jesus goes on to explain the scriptures and how they they point to himself, how they reveal that the Messiah must die for the sin of the world. Okay, now get this part. The disciples had heard about the empty tomb, that angels from heaven had told their friends Jesus was alive. They had the scriptures interpreted by Jesus himself right there on the road. Like, what a better Bible teacher can you imagine? I bet he's better than me. Yeah, like Jesus interpreting the scriptures to them right there. And they still did not see that he's the resurrected Christ. It wasn't until he shared a meal with them, broke bread with them. It wasn't until he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. And it was at that point, of course, he's revealed to them, and of course, then he vanishes. (laughs) As soon as they could see Jesus had been resurrected from the dead... They no longer needed to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. As soon as they could see and believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they no longer needed to see the resurrected Jesus. How did they come to see? Not from his physical presence, not even from his direct teaching. They came to see in the scriptures And in the sacrament, Jesus is revealed in word and sacrament. That is why the church is committed to the word, preaching from it, reading it, community Bible experience, praying its prayers and singing its songs. And that is why we partake in the sacrament of communion each week. Because when we do these things, we do more than tell stories and enact rituals. We open up space for Jesus to reveal himself. If you are hungry to know Jesus, you don't need him to be made in the flesh again and presented right here. You need to come to the word and partake in the sacrament. And that, brothers and sisters, is very good news. Like I could stop right there. I feel like that is a great takeaway. You and I can know the risen and reigning Jesus because he reveals himself to us through the word and through the sacrament. Woo! Okay. So far, as your tour guide, I've tried to point out how Jesus is revealed in this journey story. Now I want to make some observations in the story that shed some light on why it matters at all that Jesus was resurrected. As I promised before, I'm going to go back now to that part about their eyes being prevented from seeing Jesus. How God prevented their eyes from seeing Jesus at first. I believe the reason he did this is because had they seen Jesus right away, they would have misunderstood. Sometimes my relatives give my kids money in cards for the holidays. 
birthdays, Christmas, and most recently we got an Easter card from one of Corey's aunts. I had $5 bills in there for each of the kids. My kids are 11, 8, and 4. Okay. My four-year-old sees a $5 bill in her card and says, look, money! She knows it's money, not necessarily how much, or even if she could, she does know that's a five on it, but she doesn't really have a concept for what that value means. And I know that she knows it's pretty and it's papery and it's green. And I also know that if I don't direct her immediately to put it in her piggy bank, it's going to end up lost or in that recycle pile. And I shudder to think how many recycled dollar bills and five dollar bills I've shredded or put out of the recycling because of not knowing the value of the thing right in front of you, even though you can name it. The point is, she knows that this is a gift. She knows the $5 bill is a good thing. She even knows enough to get excited about it. Look, I got a $5 bill. But she has no idea what to do with it or the value of it. If Jesus had revealed himself to the two travelers on the road immediately, they would likely have said, Wow, Jesus, you're alive. It's a miracle. Let's get the band back together. Let's go get all of our friends back together and do what we were doing before. You teach. We look awesome because you're teaching awesome. And we'll carry your stuff and do whatever. It's so fun being your disciple. But that would have been like making a paper airplane out of a $5 bill or maybe more accurately, a paper airplane out of a $1,000 bill. It was just what a waste of an experience. What a, a misunderstanding. See, first, Jesus needed to open the scriptures to them. These two traveling disciples were sad. They were not only sad that they had lost their friend and their master. They were sad because, as verse 21 tells us, they had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. Just as God had redeemed Egypt all those centuries before when they were enslaved to the Egyptians, and God sent a deliverer, didn't he? He sent Moses to deliver them out of bondage and bring them into the promised land. So they had hoped that this deliverer, Jesus, would take the Israelites out of bondage and oppression under the Roman Empire and bring them into a new way of being where they had autonomy and freedom and were a major player in the world again. Little did they know that their hopes weren't too big for Jesus, they were too small. Have you ever suspected that maybe your hopes in following Jesus were too small? So Jesus sets out by taking them back to the scriptures. And we aren't to imagine that Jesus is just pointing to a handful of scriptures, like proof texting, like look here in Isaiah 53, and here's these other ones in Psalm 110. I don't think he's just taking them back to a few hand-picked scriptures out of context. I think what the thrust is here is that he's going back to Moses, which includes the first five books of the Bible, including Genesis, and all the prophets and the writings. So basically, Jesus is saying all of the scriptures... All of the genres of the Old Testament even point to me. And he's showing them through examples how that works. And the point is that Scripture as a whole finds its crescendo, its uh, resolve, if you like music stuff. Um, it's not all jazz. It's, there's a lot of jazz in Scripture. It's a lot of like gray and, and you know, tension. But it resolves with Jesus. Jesus is God's deliverer in the flesh. And not only the deliverer of Israel, but of all the people of all the world. Not just the deliverer for human armies and nation states that come and go, 
but the deliverer from sin and death. It's bigger than him delivering them from Rome or whatever the next big bad boy in the world was going to be. And so these same scriptures indicate over and over again that God's agents, such as the prophets, always suffer. It's like, it's like what always happens. And so the deliverer of God was always supposed to suffer, but also God's agent, such as the one described in Daniel 7, would be vindicated, would be exalted, would receive um, a kingdom from God. So this is a much bigger deal than Mary and Clopas could have imagined. And why does that matter to us? Well, because can you think of the great equalizer in life? Right now, it's death. Like, it doesn't matter how you start or how you finish or how much you had. It just is, it's inevitable. But if death itself is defeated, if the power of sin is broken, if Jesus raised from the dead and we are aligned with him through faith, then our lives are much more than this. We have hope that transcends politics and global warming and cancer. We have hope that those things will be taken care of. And it's not, that's not all resurrection is about. That's why the disciples didn't see immediately after Jesus taught from the scriptures. There's, there's more to this story. It has everything to do with breaking bread with a meal. If you've ever read the scriptures or know some of the main stories of the Bible, can you think of the first time people ate in the Bible? You can shout it out if you can think of one. It's the first time people ate in the Bible. Yeah, the fruit in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, the first human beings made in God's image, made for intimate relationship with God, endowed with great dignity and power to rule over the earth, to create and to work the land, to name the animals, to reign over the earth in goodness and grace, and then it all goes wrong. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, they seek autonomy from God, and they want to go out on their own. And this is what happened. Now listen to these words from Genesis 3-7. So they eat the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. That's when they first felt shame and alienation. Their eyes were opened, but in reality, they were blinded. Blind to their calling, blind to their vocation, blind to the inherent dignity that they have as image bearers of God. With their new seeing came consequences like death and suffering and insecurity and alienation. Alienation from God, because they're hiding, and alienation from each other. The earth goes from being under their care to being an adversary to be conquered or a commodity to be exploited. And the world at that point is broken because of a meal, because of eyes being opened. Now, as your tour guide on this journey from death to life, let me point out what is happening, if you haven't guessed it, at the table at Emmaus. Jesus presides over a meal with a husband and a wife. They eat bread, taken, blessed, broken, and given by the bread of life himself, and their eyes are opened. So you see, the resurrection is not just about Jesus rising from the dead, and it's not just about your eternal security or my eternal security. 
It's not just about the promise of my resurrection one day or your resurrection one day. It's about those things, thank the Lord that it is, but there's more to it. The resurrection is about new creation. Adam and Eve broke it in a meal. Jesus begins a new creation in a meal. That's why the gospel writers are so big on emphasizing that Jesus rose in the morning on the first day of the week. That's when he's de- described as being discovered, uh, the, the bodies out of the tomb in the first light of day. It's as if on Easter morning the sun rose for the first time. There's a new way of being that Jesus inaugurates into the world. The creation itself is broken when Adam and Eve ate that first meal. But here the resurrected Jesus is telling us that through the enacting of this new meal that his resurrection has begun a new creation. That through faith in Jesus, you and I are new creations. Paul thought the same thing in Ephesians 2. We are new creations. Not yet resurrected bodies. That's coming in the future. But it means that how we live now matters. It means that we might be in a broken world. Might be. That's an understatement. We're in a broken world. But we can live as image bearers now. Reflecting the way of Jesus back into our places of work and how we relate to each other and how we live with the planet, not just how we live on the planet. This isn't in my notes, but I'm looking at Dan Trollson sitting over there. Dan has been at the, from the ground up of Northwater, a new restaurant up by the airport. He's got to, got to work, build this new team and a menu and all this great stuff. And Dan, just seeing you alive in your gift of hospitality um, it's been amazing, and the cool thing is I've been in there twice now, once when Dan was there, got the tour, once when Dan wasn't there, and it was more telling when Dan wasn't there, because I got to talk with some of the wait staff, and they love working for Dan. He's a manager who's passionate about his work, and he's good at it, but he also treats people well, and he's reflecting God's kingdom back into a broken world. There's a lot of junky restaurants where tre- people are treated bad, Okay? but you can do it differently. And as I look out in this room, I see a lot of you doing it differently. That's what this is about, and it matters. It matters, it makes a difference. Because Christ has risen from the dead, and he will redeem all of those good things that we do in love. Now I'm gonna suggest some ways we can respond. I kinda just said one. Uh, But the first is something that happens This is something that happens to us, okay? It happened to the two disciples in the story. Their hearts, they recognized, were burning inside, which is a common refrain in church history. St. Augustine and and John Wesley and, and many others describe the strangely warmed heart when Jesus reveals himself to us. It's what happens when Jesus makes himself known to you, and and you can respond. That's the first step. You can respond in faith and in hope. You can repent of your old way of thinking. You can turn from the way you were living when you assumed that the brokenness of the world was the only reality out there. You can say no to your old masters, and you can say yes to the risen and reigning Jesus. That's one of the responses to this revelation of Jesus. The second thing is you can get on with your new life. You know what? I have to remind myself of this often. But you and I, we can love sacrificially. 
I can love sacrificially because being successful according to the standard of the world is no longer valid. That's not success in the kingdom of God. So that means you and I, we can invest ourselves in doing good work rather than trying to escape the world because Jesus will redeem all of this stuff that is meant to last. Your investments in relationships are eternal, so invest well. Seek reconciliation. Seek and receive forgiveness. You're no hero for not receiving forgiveness. We are no heroes when we don't receive forgiveness. This new life is to be marked by joy and purpose. And third, we observe that the two disciples in the story, what they did, as soon as they understood the good news of Jesus and his resurrection, they left. Remember how Jesus was going to go on? He pretended to go on, and they said, no, you know, it's already late. It's like, you better not be on the road. Come and share a meal with us. Well, now this is so important that it's even later when that happened, and they're going to go back to Jerusalem and make that seven-mile trek. They, they shared their story with the other disciples, and they were encouraged by hearing that, the, that Jesus had appeared to Peter as well and to the others. And from then on, the church would be marked by the telling of the story of Jesus, by sharing the scriptures, and by eating together, by prayer, by sharing of resources, and spreading the good news of the resurrection. That's our mission as well. And we have... I mean, thank goodness we have such good news to share. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for journeying with Clopas and Mary or whoever his partner was. Thank you for revealing yourself in such a significant way. And thank you that you reveal yourself to us in much the same way, through the word and through the sacrament through the sharing of witness. Lord, we find ourselves, another, another year has gone by, the earth has gone around the sun one more time. We're at Easter again. And we pray, God, that we would not just go through the motions, but that you would fill us with that new creation life. Bless you, Lord. Amen.